Well, good morning, MCC. Hope you guys are doing good today. If you're brand new here with us, let me just say on behalf of me and the rest of this crazy bunch of people that call themselves the church that is McDonough Christian, welcome in. We're glad you're here. Uh, There's a little connecting point, uh, next step card uh, in front of your chair. You can fill that out if you're brand new with us. We'd love to be able to get to know you, get to meet you. You can either, uh, if you're a little bit more of an introvert, don't want to meet anybody new today, you can put that in those uh, next step boxes back there in the back, or there's a whole next step table out there uh, where there's somebody who would love to get to talk to you, meet you, smile at you, and uh, just do all that fun stuff. So before we dive in today, I want to, I got two, two things that I want to lean into and talk to you guys about that are coming up so we can be in the know of what's going on, ways to get connected, ways to get closer to Jesus and closer to each other. First thing is actually happening uh, a couple of Sundays from now. Uh, it's August 21st. It's connecting point. So anybody in the room who's somewhat new to MCC, maybe you just started coming to MCC kind of after Easter or somewhere between Easter and right now, you're somewhat new to MCC. You've never gone to a connecting point class. Connecting point is this thing that we do at MCC to be able to move people into to relationships. What oftentimes happens is some people go to church and go like, yeah, I like the music or the preaching was marginal and my kids loved it. But, and then you ask, why'd you leave? And they just go, well, I never really felt like I got connected. Well, this is what we do to make sure that doesn't happen. And this is where we're kind of putting ourselves out there. And if you're new to MCC, I want you to know like, man, the best things that we have to offer honestly cannot just be experienced by coming in, sitting in, being a kind of consumer of all that happens, but actually being someone who gets to know some people who gets known by some people and then rolls up their sleeves and gets involved in all the awesome things that God is doing here. And connecting point is where that happens. That's on the 21st. Uh, it's right after this service back there. There's Olive Garden, which is awesome. We got breadsticks, all that type of stuff. Um, if you want to come to that, here's how you uh, get plugged in. All right. Nothing is working on this thing right now, guys. Um, I can see it back there on that screen, but this screen is not doing anything. Um, Here's, I think my eyes may be good enough. If you want to be a part of this, text breadsticks to 770. Oh, it's up there. You guys let me do that the whole time. Didn't tell me it was all the way back there. You gotta be kidding me. Shame on you. You guys, you're just seeing how good my, man, get out of here. That's it. Find somebody else to preach the rest of the message. Um, 770-450-1555. Yeah, text breadsticks to that if you're wanting to be a part of that. Man, we'd love to have you come. Uh, it's a great place uh, to be able to get to know a little bit more about who we are as a church. Next thing I want to talk to you guys about, I don't, I'm not going to worry about this. It's going to be uh, this uh, church gathering, real church gathering that we're having for women. This is for women. So raise your hand if you're a woman. Oh, hey, okay, way to go. You know, way to go. Um, this is for women. Real Gathering 2022 Women's Conference, One Day Women's Conference. It's August 27th. It's from, my wife corrected me on this this morning. It's from 9.30 to 3.30. Uh, there's no childcare provided. Make your husband or somebody else do that. And uh, that's what I'm gonna be doing during this conference and uh, our parenting as some would refer to it. Um, that's gonna be there. You can go and register online for the conference. That's the, easy way to, the easiest way to do it. Go online, you can register there and you'll be able to get plugged in for that. And the last thing is, is giving. Um, as a church, we, we love you um, and we invite you into this as a response to the gospel. And so if you wanna practice generosity today, you can do that in those offering boxes back there in the back or easy way to do it is just to give online, all right? Um, I'm gonna push this out of the way, right? Should I do that? Is it working? What? It's working. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Oh, man. We got some really good stuff uh, going on today. So uh, we're going to get into all that. Um, If you got a Bible, which is where we should have went anyway, this is what happens when I do announcements to begin messages. If you got a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're getting the real stuff, real good stuff. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul begins this prayer for a church. And I think this prayer is gonna be really special for you because I look around and I've just had conversations with many of you and I'll ask how things going and and I can just tell like, you'll say good, but I know what you really wanna say is I'm tired. I'm tired. I can like, we can see it on each other, can't we? Anybody in this room be willing to admit like, I'm just kind of tired. Like I wish today was Saturday. So tomorrow could be Sunday and I could just take a nap all day and, and I've already gone, gone to church. Yes, you're saying yes and amen. And I think there's this, this tiredness that's going on in a lot of us. And I think it's something deeper than just my body's worn out, my mind's worn out. But I think we have souls that are worn out and no amount of vacation or caffeine seems to be doing anything. 
So Paul comes in and he says, on the inside, do you feel weak? On the inside, do you feel like you just don't have enough power to make it through what life has given to you? He invites us into this prayer and I wanna read it together and then I'm gonna actually pray it for you. So if you got a Bible, Ephesians 3, go down to verse 13, or 14, sorry. Ephesians 3, 14, let's read this. Paul's talking to a church, going through a lot of similar things that we go through as people. And he says this, this is his prayer for his church. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. That's a good prayer, right? Do y'all pray like that? <laughs> Somebody said, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm gonna moment of transparency with, with you here. I get asked to pray for a lot of things for a lot of people and for a lot of you. And to be completely transparent, most of the prayers I get asked to pray for you are not like this. And most of the prayers I pray for you without asking are not like this. I lean into things that I know are going on in your marriage or in your health or in your finances or with your kids or uh, with what's going on in life for people who are new to MCC to get connected to MCC and all of these things. And these are some of the things that I find myself as your pastor praying for you. But what I wanted to do in this moment is for you to be able to hear me the same way that the church in Ephesus read this out and went, man, we do know that Paul knows all the crazy things that are going on in our city and in our lives right here. But if you read through the book of Ephesus, which is Paul's pastoral letter to this church, him showing them that he cares for them, that he loves them, that he's shepherding them. What he doesn't pray for is any of their finances. He doesn't pray for their prodigal children. He doesn't pray that the right people will get elected. He doesn't pray that people will be nice to people. He doesn't pray for anything about their health. He doesn't pray that you would be with sister so-and-so. He prays none of those things, but he prays this. And I found myself this week over and over again, praying this for you. And I wanted you to hear me pray this over you today. And so I would invite you to join me in this prayer and feel this moment as a, as a pastoral hand on your shoulder, praying this specifically for you, asking God to do these things. Cause these things that we're getting ready to lean into that we just read, and I'm gonna pray over you. These are things that, no amount of my excellence in preaching could ever make happen inside of your heart, mind, soul, and life. It is only by the power of God. And so I wanna pray this over you. Will you bow your head, bow your hearts and let a pastor pray this over you the same way the pastor Paul prayed this over the church in Ephesus. Father God, for this reason, I kneel before you you're the father from whom his whole family, this whole family on heaven and on earth, we get our name. And I pray, Father, that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen your people with power through your spirit in their most inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray that we all, being rooted and established in love may have power together with each other, with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is your love, Christ. And that we would know that it is your love that surpasses knowledge. And that we, God, every single person in here would be filled to the measure of all of the fullness that is you, God. Now to you, one who is able to do immeasurably more than anyone in this room could ask, seek, or imagine according to your power that is at work within us to you be the glory God in this church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's walk through this prayer and hopefully it can give us some of the power, some of the strength that we desperately need and show us this life that is made available to us in Christ.
First of all, we'll dig into verses 14 and 15. Paul jumps off and remember, Paul tried to start this prayer. Again, we're at verse 14 and 15. Paul tried to start this prayer in verse one. So if you're open Bible right now, go look at chapter three, verse one. What does it say? For this reason. And then there's a dash, which is where Paul went on a righteous rabbit trail and talked about all these things, kind of explained why was he in prison. He explained what was going on and kind of why he was in this predicament and told him to don't lose heart because of what I'm suffering, because my suffering is for, for your glory. It was his way of saying that God will allow suffering to happen in our lives because every unique form of suffering allows God to reveal a unique form of his grace to me and to you. So don't be mad when it happens. Rejoice because God's going to show you his grace through it. And he wraps all that up. And then he gets right back into his prayer in verse 14. And he says, for this reason, which we kind of just got to pause and go, well, what is the reason? What do you mean by that? For this reason, I pray these things. That this reason, if you want to figure out what in the world that is, go back to the back half of chapter two. What he just got through explaining in, in pretty much all of chapter two was that Jew and Gentile, the two most divided people groups you could have ever imagined are now one in Christ. To sum it all up and make it as neat and tidy as I can, he has essentially just said, we are family. That in Christ, that God has made one new family and at the head of that, because the son gave his life so that we could be brought into this family, both Jew who is super religious and Gentile, who is super rebellious, we can now be one in Christ and we are this one new family. We are this family that is called the church. And this church is diverse in age. This church is diverse in race. This church is diverse in backgrounds. This church is diverse in backstories. This church is diverse in how much money we make. This is this new family. And Paul is saying, because Jesus, the son of God, made a way for all to be a part of the family of God, that's the reason that he kneels, which is where it all starts. And the point that you gotta understand about what's happening here in verses 14 on down through 21 is I want you to see it in context. So in verses one, two, in the first part of chapter three, what Paul has been doing is he's explaining to them their identity in Christ. If Christ is in you, this is who you are. You're adopted, you're redeemed. You now reign with Christ. He's now seated you at those holy places with Christ. The resurrection power that rose Christ from the grave is now the power that is made available to you. This is your unique identity. And he says all these things about what their identity is. And then in chapter four, he starts telling them what they need to do because of that. But right slap dab in the middle, he has verse three, 14 through 21, where Paul goes, there is no way that you're ever gonna be able to live out your identity if God through prayer does not work that identity into your innermost being so that it can then come out in the way you live your life. And that is the opposite of most of how we try to go about making our lives better. We go the exact opposite order. Or really we may not pray at all. We go, hey, here's the things I need to do on the outside. And here's kind of my identity. And maybe I should pray about this. Paul says the exact opposite. You got to know who you are. You got to know what Christ has done. Pray that that would become your reality and then you'll be able to actually live that out. And so he says, prayer is essential. So he's saying, because of this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family and in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, in order to understand what in the world he's talking about, you got to understand that the way people got names back then is much different than the way we name people. Like we name people, we just kind of take like two or three names and we just switch the beginnings and ends and we want to be cute and we want to be something. And for some reason we name people other people's last names. Like we're naming kids first names, Harris and Beckett and Johnson. And like, we're like, is that the mother's maiden name? Or it's like, no, whose name? It's just, that's just what we named him. And we do all sorts of crazy stuff with names nowadays. But in these times, name implied and carry with it identity. So what your name was, was identifying of you. That's why in, in the book of Ezra, Ezra has that name. And the name Ezra means God helps. All throughout the Old Testament, these names signified not just what this person was to be called by the government or called by their friends. The name signified the identity that God has placed on him. So when Paul is saying here, I'm praying to the father who is giving us all a name as a family. What that means is our new name, and this is mine. This is my new name. It's Trent in Christ Shoemake. 
and your new name is Sue in Christ Smith or Bill in Christ Johnson. Your last name has very little significance anymore. The family of origin, what you came from, who they shaped and formed and molded you into being when, when you spent all that time growing up in that, that is now actually not the most significant thing about who you are. Because the most important, the most significant thing about any of us is that we belong to this new family. A family where our skin color differences doesn't matter. A family where our income differences doesn't matter. Where the only thing that matters about our family is these two words right here. In Christ. That's my identity. That's where I get my name from. I am an in Christ child of the Father. And so are they. So the next time somebody at your work who says they're a Christian is getting on your last, your very last nerve, remember that they are not your just Bob Johnson coworker, that they are your Bob in Christ. You can't say it like that, but they're my Bob in Christ coworker. And deal with it, knowing that you're family. The next time that somebody, look, heaven forbid somebody at church ever get on your nerves, but let's be honest. And I know it rarely ever happens here at MCC, but listen, sometimes church people that you go to church with will get on your nerves, all right? Because I don't know if you noticed this, but sometimes church people have a lot of opinions about how church should happen, all right? If I didn't have that TV screen up there, that wouldn't happen. If we just had hymnals, boys, I mean, like we have a lot of opinions on different things, right? And what we got to know is like, hey, those are just tertiary things. The main important thing is that we're all in Christ together. And if we're in Christ together, all the other things, man, we'll figure those out. We'll get, we'll get there. But if we're in Christ, that's the most important thing. So next time somebody gets on your nerves, next sometimes something happens that frustrates you, remember, mm-mm, we're in Christ, we're together, and we're a new family, and so we operate like that. So that means that when I get mad, I don't just pick up my ball and go to church down the road. If I'm in Christ, we're family, and we handle things like family. So he's laying that out at the very beginning, that this is where we get our name. And then he starts to enter into his prayer in 316. He's, I pray that out of his, talking about God, God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you. So he's telling them, this is the main thing I'm praying. He's praying that they will be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in their inner being. A lot of things going on. But what we need to start is, is we kind of need to start here at this inside part. Paul is saying, kind of leaning into what we talked about at the beginning. Your problem is not that you don't get enough caffeine. Your problem may not even be that you're not getting enough sleep. Our problem is that in our inner being, we are chasing after far too much. We are consumed with far too many things. And on the inside, we have a sense of tiredness and weariness and worn outness, a lack of strength. And Paul goes, if change is going to happen, it will not be outside in. It will be inside out. Your heart has to be changed which is to say that the transformation, the strength, all the things that we all want, it all starts in the hearts. He says, here's how it happens. First of all, if it's gonna happen in my heart, it has to happen through his spirit. Not my good deeds, not my perfect church attendance. It happens through the Holy Spirit of God. And what this Holy Spirit does is it strengthens us with power. It strengthens us with power. Now, this is why I think so many times we walk in weariness is because we're operating not in the Holy Spirit, but we're operating in the flesh. Paul, in other letters to the different churches, he runs this parallel between what is life walking in the flesh and what is life walking in the spirit. And walking in the flesh is a definitely different life than walking in the spirit. And he gives some allusions to this in 2 Timothy 1.7. He talks about the spirit that God has given us, this Holy Spirit that he says is made available to us to change the way we live our lives. He says, God has gave us a spirit, not of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and of self-control. Now, if you look at those three words, this is power, love, and self-control. This is what many of us feel when we're walking in the flesh. We fear, we feel weakness. That's why most people, when asked, how you doing? Though we may say, I'm good. What we really want to say, I'm tired. It's because we're walking in the flesh. You can't, you can't walk in the flesh and have power. You can't walk in the flesh and just be that person who walks in the office and people are like, how are you doing today? And you're like, I'm great. I'm ready to go. Let's get this. Like, you know, those people, the ones who you're like, man, dial it back, man. It's Monday morning. <laughs> like, yeah, do you, 
Do you, do you have, what's going on with you? You know those people. That's people who are walking in the spirit. But when we walk in the flesh, we're weak. It's the opposite of all of them. See, when we walk in the Holy Spirit, we have power and love. But we walk in the flesh, we have the opposite of love. And this makes its way out of our lives in a few different things. I think sometimes it comes out in love for ourselves, like an overabundance of love for me, of I love my way of doing things. I love my way of, of how this project should have worn. I love my um, free time or I love my ability to make the decisions that I wanna make. And so when we're walking in the flesh, all we love are the things that we love. And the things that you love, I don't care about. In the moment, the things you love bump into the things that I love, the things that I love win. And sometimes it comes out in self-love. Some comes, sometimes it comes out in hate. When I walk in the spirit, it's much easier to hate somebody because of the way they think, the way they vote, the way they drive, <laughs> the way they do this, the way they let trains park in the middle of McDonough, just right in the middle of the afternoon. Like <laughs> this train is just taking a nap. It's nap time for trains. I can, it's really easy to hate things and then hate people when I'm walking in the flesh. And then this is, this is where it finds its culmination. So when you're walking in the spirit, you're walking in power, you're walking in love and you're walking with self-control. And here's how you know you're walking in the flesh. You're walking in self-indulgence. I see something, someone walk by. Well, it's easy just to, to look longer than I should look. I know I've made a commitment to God to, to try to, to better my marriage. But praying at night just seems like it's kind of awkward. I eat how much I want to eat, as much as I want to eat, and way past full. Self-indulgence. I, I know I'm in debt, bad debt, but you know what I need? Stuff I don't need that I want. I indulge. I walk in the flesh. Somebody's got some juicy details. They just left a meeting with so-and-so, and they're in their office, and I know they just got some stuff. And I know if I walk in there and I go, so what was that about? They'll tell you. But you can choose to not eat that morsel of sin. He says, when you're walking in the spirit, man, you got self-control that goes, that's none of my business. And I don't want it to be none of my business because I don't want to be caught in their messiness. I want to just deal with my own and let Jesus deal with my own. And he says, this Holy Spirit wants to deliver this strength and power into our lives so that our lives become lives that are identified as power, love, and self-control. And that's why he says, this has got to start on the inside because outward power is no power at all. Outward love is just fake. It's phony. And outward self-control is just behavior modification. And the world is putting all those up on a pedestal saying, if you can do these, you are truly a evolved human individual. But we're just whitewashed tombs with not a, a heart of flesh not a heart that beats for the lost, no power, no ability to say no to sin because it's lost all taste and allure and no ability to deny yourself so that you can love other people better than you. And he says, I want you to walk, walk in this spirit. He goes on from there in verse 17. He says, I want this to happen. I want this Holy Spirit out of the riches of God's mercy to give you this strength and power. So now he's saying, okay, here's why we need the strength and power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's just pause and camp out on that sentence right there. Some of you are reading that and going, wait, 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 isn't Paul writing to Christians? And now I remember back when I became a Christian, I was at VBS in 1987. You know, and they said, if you want to become a Christian, ask Jesus into your what? Heart. So shouldn't these people already have Jesus in their hearts? So why would Paul say, I'm praying that the God would give you strength and power into your inmost being so that Christ can dwell in your hearts? Well, there's a difference between Christ being there and Christ dwelling there. Think about it like this. Um, I have people who are part of my community group and they come over to our house. And they are in my house. I invited them in to my house. 
but they don't dwell at my house. It would be really weird if some of the people I was in community group with, even Chuck, like he's my neighbor, all right? He lives two houses up from me. And he's got, pretty, he's got refrigerator rights at my house as a neighbor and as someone who's a part of my community group and a brother in Christ. So he could go to my refrigerator. He can pretty much get whatever he wants out of there if he's hungry. But what's kind of weird would it be if Chuck just started going upstairs whenever he wanted to, <laughs> right? It would be super weird. And if he just went into mine and Jessica's bedroom and started rummaging around through drawers, all right? Super weird because he doesn't dwell there. He just visits. It'd be odd. And you'd be like, this is strange. But the point I'm trying to make is many of us treat Jesus like that. Our hearts are not places he really dwells. They're just places like Chuck, he visits for spiritual gatherings. And so my question is this. I don't don't know, I ain't got time to talk about that. Is my heart a home or a hotel for Jesus? Is it a home where it's clear and obvious that that's exactly where he lives? Like you walk in, people run into you, they bump into you at, at, at little kids' baseball games, at PTO meetings, at church, in traffic, all those different places where, where you run into other people. They drive, they drive by the neighborhood that is your life. Is it obvious and apparent to them that this, that's someone where Jesus resides in their heart? Or is Jesus just someone who checks in on Sunday for an hour and then checks out when you leave here? Are you an Airbnb landlord to him or does he own the place? Is it his? Think about it like this, fellas in the room. Before you got married, if you were one of the guys in this room who maybe uh, you had your own house, like your own place, your bachelor pad, you know, and you know, you had your TV on like two of those milk crates and cinder blocks. Instead of curtains, you just had a Bud Light Beach towel that just blocked the sun out. This is my bachelor pad. And it was obvious at that moment that who did not live there? A woman, right? (laughs) But then hopefully you did it in this order. Um, You started dating a beautiful woman of God and then you guys got married. And then after you got married, she moved into your house. What would she do? You think she's gonna rock and roll with Bud Light Beach towels? No. She's not going to do that. You're going to have to buy this crazy thing called furniture and silverware. And people are going to walk into your house. They actually noted, like if you showed up to my house right now and I don't like it, but she does most of my laundry and she's an amazing woman. There's some, I don't know what, it's, it's bright, vivacious pink. It's hanging on my door right now. Like, you, like if you drove by my house in our neighborhood, you'd go like, they just had a baby girl. We have two boys. I think Jester's just, just trying to add some level of estrogen to the outside of our house because it's just this swarm of testosterone. And even from the outside, she wants people to know that an, a female actually lives in this place. <laughs> but it's obvious. Once you walk in the house, it is completely obvious that she's there by how clean it is. It's obvious when you walk into the dining room And because we wouldn't have been able to know where the dining room is had she not done this, there's this giant sign that says gather because we would have had no idea what to do in this room if she didn't tell us. (laughs) It's apparent. And so when, when he says, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will give you this strength and this power, he's doing so, so that our lives will really be lives that people go, nope, it's obvious. The way they spend money is different. The way they talk to their kids is different. The way that they hold their commitments is different. The way they practice singleness is differently. The way they talk about the person they're divorced from is differently. And that has to be because something is different inside of their heart. And that something different inside of their heart is that they don't own it anymore. It's owned by Jesus and he dwells there. It's obvious. So he says, this is the hearts that I'm longing for us to have. These are the hearts that my people will be identified by. Let's go back to the second part. He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Rooted and established in love. And this is where we get messed up because we like to get rooted and established in all sorts of other things, don't we? We wanna get rooted and established in our career. If I can just get a foot in the door, 
We want to get rooted and established in a relationship. Well, I can just meet someone who's halfway decent. We want to get rooted and established in finances. I just got to get out of debt. I got to get rooted and established. Some of you, you get really rooted and established in what your kids do. Well, we're, we're, we're a travel ball family or we're a swim team family or we're a track family or we're a football family. And we get really established in these things that we do. Some of you get really established and rooted and established in politics. And it's a parent on Facebook. And I don't think it's doing a whole lot for the gospel. It's not doing a whole lot for our Christian witness because the main thing he says, I want you to be rooted and established in is love. And that will be what lets you know that you have a heart that Christ dwells in is that the obvious thing that it is rooted in its core and foundation is love and not anything else. So he goes from that to verse 18. And he says, okay, so rooted and grounded in love, we may have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So let's just talk, talk about this word for a second and then we'll get back to this together with all the saints. You could ask the same question here that you asked at the, isn't Christ already in my heart point of the message? Because didn't I have to grasp the love of Jesus to put my faith in him in the first place? Like I had to grasp some of that. What are we talking about there, Paul? This word grasp, I want to teach you this. This is, this is probably my favorite part of this whole message. The word grasp, and this is fun. I teach you guys a lot of Greek words. Sorry for nerding out on you, but this is a fun one. Catalambano, like that's the coolest Greek word I've, I think I've ever given you guys. Catalambano, it sounds like something a redneck would build together like with parts from different vehicles. A catalambano, catalambano, it's a sandwich you get in Ola. A catalambano, this word does not mean to grasp just like I know it. Like I can get, I have this mental ascent. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He gave his life for me, the gospel. I get that. I understand all those things. That's not what he's talking about with grasp. So this grasp word in our English translation is kind of weak in comparison to Catalambano. I mean, grasp, Catalambano, like they even sound weaker or stronger. What it really means is to seize tight hold of, to catch or to capture. Football season is among us. What this looks like is a defense lineman swimming off of the offensive lineman and absolutely sacking the quarterback. And he's saying, I want my people, the people of God will be people who have tightly grabbed a hold of who I am. It's not just up here, it's in here. And you've, you've probably had some of these moments in your life where you're like, man, I thought I knew God. I thought I knew who he was. I thought I knew the truth about his reality, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And he's revealed yourself, he's revealed himself to you in a way that blows your mind. And he wants to do that to you. Every one of you in this room, he wants to take you to your very own Catalambano moment where you say something like this. I knew he was good. I knew he was a father. I've heard about that all these years. I knew he'd redeemed me. I knew these things about God but I had no idea. That's, that's what he's praying that they would experience. And again, this only happens through prayer. This only happens through meditating on the gospel. This only happens through sitting in this. And even Paul's terminology lend itself to this meditation. That's why he goes, we are gonna grasp this love of God that is high that is wide, that is deep, that is this vast love of God. He's taking them through this ability to be able to think about the width of God's love. How wide is God's love? This love said that though our sins were as scarlet, he washes them white as snow. That means that there is no sin that his blood cannot encompass. It goes wide enough to cover up murder. It goes wide enough to cover up the Snickers bar you stole in third grade. It is a very wide love that can wash all sins, though they may be scarlet, white as snow. It's wide. Well, how long is it? Is as long as I hold up my end of the deal, as long as I keep coming to church, is as long as I do good things, as long as I'm nice to my grandmama, is as long as I do Christian things. How long is love? It's an eternity long. He promises us in Romans, he says, he who began a good work in you will follow it through to completion. He tells us that there is nothing that can pluck us out of the hand of God. How long will it last? Forever. How deep is it? This is the key one here. How deep is it? 
Philippians 2 says that he who in Jesus, who in very nature was God, did not consider equality with God. He did not consider his godness something to be grasped. Rather, he let go of that. He humbled himself, became the very nature of a servant and slave and took on the very point of torture and went to the cross. Suffered the pain and punishment that a sinner deserved. And it says, because he humbled himself to the lowest of lows, because he went that deep to the depth of hell that you and I deserve, because he went that deep, there's a love that we know is deep enough to take us. How high is it? Well, he promised. We read about this at the end of chapter two. He said, the same power that resurrected Christ from the grave is now the power that is available in us. And he actually says that, that we who are in Christ are now seated with Christ. And where is he? He's at the right hand of God. So how high is it? It's as high as he is. That's the love that is so wide, so deep, so long, so high. That's the love of Christ. He says, I want this to become your truth. Now, let's go back to our, our verse here. He says, this thing, this is something he's praying that all of us would have the power. Now this, look at this thing. He just throws it in here. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. So what he's not after is just about you understanding who God is. And if this verse is true, it backs up all the things that I've been saying throughout the course of this whole series, that there are things about God that you will never understand of if it's just you and God. But God put us together, united us both to him on a vertical plane and on a horizontal plane, united us to each other in him. So that there are things about God that you could only learn from somebody with my backstory. And there's things that only I could learn about God from people with your backstory. So he says, if we're gonna get this, if we're gonna grasp this, we can grab a whole lot more church if we will reach together. And what has to happen here is we've got to stop being people who try to grasp and hold on to all the things that we can have, who parade and prop up to the rest of society to say, well, look what I got. Well, look what we got. Well, look where we went on vacation. Well, look at how many likes I got for that funny thing I said on social media. Look at what all I have. Instead, the church becomes people who go, look, not what I have. Look what we have in Christ. Look who is ours. Look at our father. Look at our king. Look at him. And we grasp that together. And when that happens, we have our Catalambano experience, not just in the goosebumps of your own private quiet time at home. We have a Catalambano experience, a I had no idea God was that good experience together. And I'm gonna show you a video from our team who has recently got back from traveling on a mission trip to Kenya. And on this mission trip to Kenya, they experienced their Catalambano experience of, man, I thought I knew what poverty was, but I had no idea. I thought I knew that, uh, I thought I could go on a mission trip and, and God would maybe use me, but I had no idea he would use me in this way. I thought I could go on a trip with a bunch of people who I didn't really know that were kind of strangers to me, but I had no idea that God could bind our hearts together over this common brokenness that was the poverty there in Kenya. I had no idea. I want you to see how they grasp it together. And then we're gonna have an opportunity to grasp it together ourselves. Check it out. I went to Kenya because I love people. I'm a people's person. Tam and I have been supporting Tim and Lorna for about six to seven years. We have had multiple conversations with him about the good things that Africa Hope has been doing. When they were looking for volunteers to sign up to go to Kenya, part of me was like, man, I should sign up to do that. But then I'm like, no, 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 I don't, I can't do that. I've never flown, I've never traveled. It just, like that feeling was so strong that I felt I had to say yes. I knew that whatever fears I had, that God was gonna get me through it. When I got out of my tent one morning, there's this little girl waiting outside, her name was Florence, and I was holding some Bibles and she was just flipping through the Bibles and uh, she keeps going, no, this isn't the one, no, this isn't the one, and then she opens up to Psalms and she starts reading through it. And then she goes, I don't have a Bible. I gave her my Bible, I knew right then and there that she needed a 
a Bible to be able to get into God's Word. Probably the people and the kids in that camp, because some of them walk like two kilometers to get to school, and the first thing they do is they go to chapel, and they worship God and sing, and it's just the most amazing thing that you can ever experience. Airly calls me Bubber. That's like what her name for me is, and she was very kind to let me share that name with the other kids. So throughout the week um, that we were there, the kids would, you know, whenever they would see me, my name was Bubba, so they'd be like, Bubba, 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 and then, you know, they'd chase me around and stuff like that. And then I taught them how to say howdy, and so that was another thing. So they would be like, Bubba, howdy, and which was, uh, I think that just made my heart swell. So that, that was really, really cool. <laughs> I want to say leaving was probably the hardest. Getting there, to be honest with you, those flights, I mean, they were they were pretty decent flights. They were actually pretty good, but I mean, still, no one wants to be stuck on a flight for eight hours, so it's kind of hard, but that was, even that, that wasn't even that bad. Kids that would have anywhere from 30 to 40 pounds of water on their shoulders, carrying it sometimes two and a half to three miles one way. It's very hard for me as a person because I like to help people, you know, but sometimes me being helpful in that regards would be detrimental to their culture. If you're thinking about going on a trip, I would definitely say pray over it and then do it. Like, just go for it. Over there, you have to be accommodating, you have to be resilient, and you have to love people. Like, my mission is to adopt all those kids, but... <laughs> um, you can come, just don't take my seat. I think that's really the only... Uh, it, it's not for everyone. This time when we went, like, we, we camped out in the bush. Our bathroom was a hole in the ground, you know, and we had no running water. So it was... It was rough, you know, uh, and it was very hot out there, but more than worth it. Just go for it, because it's... You'll definitely enjoy it. The Masa people are people of God and their way of life might be different than our way, but that's the way that they know, and that's the only way that they know. All the doubts and excuses that you have as to why you think you're not ready or doubting how God could use you, just forget it and just say yes, because you're going to experience something that you will not regret doing. After a long two-year wait, on June 10th through 19th of this year, our team of eight from MCC traveled to Narok, Kenya to serve alongside our longtime mission partners at Africa Hope, led by my friends Tim and Lorna Manti. In partnering with local communities, Africa Hope walks alongside the Maasai people in rural Kenya. With programs like church planting, education, livelihood, and food and water security, they are committed to spreading the gospel and changing lives through the hope found in Christ alone. At the end of April, we as a church began a series on identity that would start us on a journey through the entire book of Ephesians. A few weeks into our study, as we were leaning into the reality of how in Christ we were predestined for adoption, Pastor Trent invited us into a challenge to pray a bold prayer. As a church, unaware of what God was going to do with this prayer, we came together and lifted up these words, I will do whatever you call me to do to care for orphans and vulnerable children. That phrase, orphans and vulnerable children, is literally the name of the program that we as the Kenya team were going to serve. One component of the Orphans and Vulnerable Children Program, or OVC, is camp. We were blessed to assist with a three-day kids camp in the Oloi Garuno community. It was definitely a highlight since we were able to be immersed in their culture for three days, sleeping in tents in the bush. God knit our hearts together with many children, and we were able to extend His love through lessons, crafts, games, and so many hugs. In addition to the OVC camp, our team was blessed to tour the Africa Hope campus, where we were able to see and use the beautiful linens provided by MCC's Jesus Shed. Later, we traveled to Majimoto Teaching Farm to hear about their plans to teach the Maasai how to farm in their climate. We also toured their farmhouse, which was finished, you guessed it, by MCC through the Jesus Shed. The whole trip was an amazing experience, full of God winks and opportunities to revel in what He has been and continues to do in the hearts and lives of the people in Kenya, in no small part due to MCC's generosity and heart for missions. 
Another part of the OVC program is child sponsorship. Sponsors can choose a child from the website and for $30 a month, they can cover the child's school fees, supplies, uniforms, while helping their family to find some sustainability in the midst of their ever-changing culture. I sponsor a child named Lamudawa. I met him in 2017 when traveling on another mission trip. He was sick and I was so moved by this child that I just became very invested in his progress, checking in on him often through the Africa Hope staff. When he showed up on the sponsorship page, you better believe I snatched him up. What I didn't know was that in, when the 2022 trip was confirmed, the Africa Hope staff got to work busy planning a surprise. While I was helping out with one of the camp classes, one of the staff members came and got me and took me outside where Lamurua and his mother were waiting. They live in another village many miles away but had traveled on foot to come and see his sponsor. Our team was able to spend most of the day with him and even babysit while his mother went to market. It was a day that I will never forget. For our team of eight who traveled to Kenya, it was very clear what God was calling us to do to care for orphans and vulnerable children. And today as a church, we get to move to action as we continue to pray and do whatever he's calling us to do collectively to care for the orphans and vulnerable children of the Maasai people in Kenya. Amen, praise God for that. So, so that was their moment of grasping the depth, the width, the height of God's love for them. And they had their I had no idea moment. And here's where we get to do that as well. As the team came back, we were thinking through how, how do we let this continue to sink into our soul and our DNA as a church. And one of the things that we felt very clearly that God had laid on us as we began to learn more things about what was going on there among the people there in that Narok County, a part of that Maasai tribe, tribe who we have our strategic partner with in Kenya, was that there's actually a child sponsorship opportunity for us as a church. That there within that local tribe, there are 160 kids who needed resources, who needed to be able to have care given to them so that they can understand and know who they are in Christ. We believe that those kids are the very same as us, that their name has the in Christ in it as well. And we began to pray and think about what we could do if we were really going to pray this prayer. And so God, we will do, because we didn't just pray it for us as individuals. We said, God, we will do whatever you call us to do to care for orphans and vulnerable children. We felt very clearly that the thing that God was calling us to do, the people who call MCC, the church family that they're a part of, what he was calling us to do and is calling us to do specifically today is to sponsor all 160 of those kids. Amen. And we've already begun a lot of that so far. Uh, first service, you know, they left some kids for you, uh, but now is where we hold up our end of the deal. We have a God who said, okay, he's not calling our bluff because we weren't bluffing. We meant what we prayed, didn't we? To say, we'll do whatever you call us to do. Well, here, here's an opportunity in a real life way to care specifically for vulnerable children. What it looks like as far as child sponsorship, let me give you some details about what that actually is. It means taking this kid and, in, and agreeing to, on a subscription basis, to pay $30 a month to be able to provide for that kid. And, and the organization is called New International. 90% of everything that you give goes directly to that kid's family. One of the things that's different from a New International as opposed to Compassion or some different things that do child sponsorship is what they actually do is they try to train the parents how to financially manage money well that they actually give portions, a decent portion of that money directly to the parent so that the parent, after they've gone through the training, they know how to successfully steward the money that God has given them through you. It provides clean water. It provides opportunity for education and counseling in an area that is desperate need of it. And this is where we, we get to have our Catalambano moment together where God uses us as we grasp together at his glory. For those of you who are watching online, I'm in a second, I'm gonna dismiss everybody in here as part of our service. This isn't like, hey, this is the part where I leave. This is the part that like, this is a continuation of our service to go back there, to look eye to eye with one of these kids who has a real life soul who will spend eternity in some place. And if you knew that you could spend $30 a month, if you could trade a Netflix and a Hulu subscription for a kid's eternity being changed, would you do it? 
to know that I have an opportunity to do that is what is on the table today. And if you're watching online, please, for the sake of um, us being able to maintain um, clarity and organization here in person, fill out the link that it's online. Don't go online directly to their website. We've got all these kids printed out. You'll mess up the whole apple cart that we're trying to run here if you go pick one because we won't know who actually got them and, and they won't be on the thing. So if you want to adopt one, you're watching online, I'm talking to you folks there, go and fill out the link that's there in the comments in the description. And if you're here in person, this is where we get to move. This is where we get to be the answer to how Paul closed out this prayer. Listen to what he said. He said, now to him, he's able to do immeasurably more. How will he do immeasurably more? He will do immeasurably more through his people. More than we ask or imagine according to his power, not at work amongst us, but his work within us. And he says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. There is no glory in the church if it is not in Christ Jesus. In the church that is in Christ Jesus, you will be able to tell it is in Christ Jesus by what it does as the Holy Spirit moves and works within it. And here's how you'll know. It's an impact, the last part of his prayer that goes throughout all generations. You have no idea the father that the kid you sponsor will become because you sponsored them. You have no idea the mother that the little girl that you sponsored will become because you sponsored them and how generations in Africa will be different because of you canceling some subscriptions, choosing not to stop by Starbucks and investing in things that will last for eternity. I'm gonna pray over you and I invite you to go get every one of those 160 kids so that we can see God move and have a Catalambano moment amongst us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have grasped our hearts today. And Jesus, I pray that we together as a church, we reach out and we grasp this glory that you are laying in front of us so that we can see the love that you have for us, its width, its depth, its height, how vast and wide it is in front of us. And that then God, we would be able to release all the things that we think we should hold on to in this life to take hold of the things that actually matter. Move in your people today. In your name, I pray, amen. Quick note before you go, if you have kids and you're like, oh my goodness, they're gonna be losing their mind in children's ministry if I don't go get them, the team in children's ministry knows. If you're here with a married couple, grab your spouse's hand, go out there, look eye to eye with a kid, pray over it and process through it. Every one of those cards that are out there, you pull it out and what you'll be able to see You'll see the kid's face. If you flip the card over, it'll give you all of the details of how to actually go through sponsorship. Here's what you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to take a kid and go, I'm gonna take this home and go do it. We lose track of who that kid is if that happens. Take it. We have a team out there. Most of you are tech savvy enough to actually sponsor them from your own um, cell phone, your own smartphone right there you have. If you're one of those people who doesn't wanna do that, we have teams available with computers and everything out there. And now I invite you to go and be the church, the hands and feet of Jesus. I love you. And I cannot wait to celebrate what God is doing amongst us. Go and be the church.